0: Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. He thinks he's funny, folks. I am funny. Funny looking. Well, that goes without saying.
1: Um, actually, as you can tell, we do not have mics in front of us. They are now suspended above us. I don't know uh, how clear is that in the bump shot, Mindy.
0: We are we are making an uh, attempt to, the shot to uh, well in the bump. The H Two O podcast uh, is now available yes. on iHeartRadio. Which we, which is true.
1: We are available on iHeartRadio. It
0: is it is available on iHeartRadio. Um,
1: so. And, uh, but anyway, uh, we have, our mics are now. Jason has changed the layout in here, and the mics are now above us. So the question we have for you, the audience, is how well can you hear us? That's yes. legitimate. Um, Where this is a this is a new setup, and of course we would like to know if uh,
0: it works. We Robert it will? is already in the chat. Hi, Welcome. Robert. Um, and I'm going to get up and fix our well. Minute, um, can you adjust this camera here to pan slightly to the right because. You. Yes, that way. Just a little bit. Never mind. I'll. Hey, I'll get it. Okay. Oh, okay. So back then. you were supposed. To, I was supposed to turn something off. Yes, you were supposed to turn off. And I hit that wrong anyway. To okay. All right. His right. My right. My right. Your left. Okay. All right. Was oh. I off here? Uh, the voice and the graphic and the PG. Okay.
1: Now, in theory... Robert
0: says it's a touch quiet, but the sound is still good. So maybe we boost up on the audio level. So grab the little handle there, that one, and scroll it up just a little bit. How's that? All right. What am I turning off? Is that both of us? Or is that just you? No, it's everybody. So okay. both of us. All right. So, so on the bone A little shot, louder here. Turning off. The PG, turning off the iHeart graphic, and turning off the iHeart voice. And now we can show the bump shot again.
1: Okay, so you can see microphones above. Hopefully, this is uh, Robert. Do you want to let us
0: know if that's better? Yes, hopefully. And you'll notice that I've got a keyboard in my lap. Oh, yeah. Because. Mindy is under the weather a little bit, so after after we get started here a little bit, I get to engineer from the field, so very, very excited to be pushing buttons from a distance. I have a cheat sheet. Hopefully this is going <laughs> to work. Hopefully this is going to Pumpkin work. I can hope. Um, so... Uh, so let's do this first. Let's mention a couple of things. Those of you who are in the live chat watching live, uh, we do have the super chats enabled. I am going to be a little bit more consistent in mentioning that, although it's not a, a huge thing. And then, of course, you know, we want to make sure that you're still subscribed, have the notifications, and if you want to support us financially. We have the Subscribestar account, which is subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. And we also have a discount negotiated over at stuffcom 10% off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me 10. And now we get to show off the rest of the stuff. Like the cameras that are so far,
1: working. It's concerning me very greatly. I walk in and he says, so and says hey, all the cameras are working. I'm like, oh, God, we're screwed. <laughs> Things are, and I was just, you know, waiting for something to burst into flames. But
0: so far, it's working. And great, great. <laughs> except, except the face-off. It <laughs> doesn't quite work because you're leaning. Your face is off. Face is off. There we away go. From from but, the thing.
1: But so. are we not actually? Yeah. The problem is that we're actually facing away from each other in that image.
0: Well, see, and I.
1: I you just need to flip the two. I, I guess I do need to flip, flip the two cameras because
0: before it worked. And now. When for, you were doing it by yourself. When I was doing it by myself. <laughs> well, that. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need that. I it. right. the one, it's a nice idea. I
1: mean, it, it just needs to
0: Fine tuning there. Yes. All right. So yes, we are uh, hopefully uh, going to be able to do. Uh, we had uh, over over the uh-huh. Christmas break uh, one of one of our past contributors somebody who still supports us and and encourages and says nice things about us. He says, uh, he gives me me a call and says, I've got something for you. Oh, okay. And so I I met with Chris and he handed me this web camera and a gooseneck mount Mm -hmm. to go with it. And turns out that's the that's the camera that we've got set up over on the other side of the studio for Mindy's shot during Good Morning Multiverse. And through various different uh, allocations of resources we were able to get a couple more of those. Mm-hmm. And so now we have uh, one that's working for me and we have one that's working for them and I'm very excited that they're both working at this point. And so far, the keyboard is communicating with everything and because we have a new, I, I mean, Christmas break, we were able to do a lot of different things to kind of help and set things up and make things easier. And you'll notice we've got a little bit different background here. Uh, the opening title sequences is, is updated. We got a lot more drone shots that I was able to to get a hold of. So just a little improvement in the production value, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, because, you know, some people think that sitting here on this two shot for two and a half hours is boring. Whatever, so whenever
1: a show goes two and a half hours. <laughs>
0: So there we are. Now we are broadcasting live tonight on YouTube and Twitch. Those of you who are watching in replay, you can uh, leave a comment with your thoughts. Because tonight, uh, we're talking about Isaac Asimov. Yeah. Next week, we'll do Collider. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out with Collider. It's a mess.
1: (laughs) There's... Yeah, it, it, it is a mess, but I I mean, and I'm. We we'll could talk more about it next week, but there's there there's always going to be a what is this going to look like a year from now once mm. this happens? I have some thoughts on that, but um, we don't you know we, we don't know we don't know no we don't we'll see what happened.
0: and and to see some of the, some of the reaction videos from people besides John Campia. just just the overall reaction on on the internet is very interesting to watch. So we, we will discuss the Collider meltdown next week. Tonight we'll do Isaac Asimov because last Thursday, the 2nd of January, would have been his 100th birthday.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, Robert says, love the 386 computer behind you. It is. A Macintosh <clears throat> Performa sixty-two ninety CD. This is from nineteen eighty-six, I believe.
1: And yes, there's. This is the point where you feel free to make the old joke, because I have already made one. So it's
0: it's an old computer. It's an old computer. It's an old computer. That doesn't make us old.
1: So, yeah, I was 16 in 1986, so I'm not young.
0: The irony of this is that I'm always the one saying I'm old. Mm -hmm. And I keep getting told I'm not old. And so now when I sit there, I mean, it's 2020, it's a new year. We've just been being nice. You know that, right? Yeah, I (laughs) I know, I know, I know. But, you know, right it's one of things where I'm just like, you know, I'm going to try to be a little bit more positive, a little bit more sure, optimistic. Good, 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 good. These are good things. These are good things. Try, yep. try to. No, it's like, the fun thing is it actually still works. It does. Um, uh, yeah. We. Uh, um, and if you've watched Chilling with Pineapple on Sunday night, you've seen it. And uh, when it's on. Now, I haven't been able to do anything with it. Yeah. Just... I can turn it on.
1: But there's not a lot you can do with a computer like that compared to what you can do with this. It's got more (laughs) computer power. a lot more computer power. Well, and the funny thing is we
0: we put some queries out because I'm trying to find the folder inside the hard drive where the desktop wallpapers live. Because I want to put a custom wallpaper there to turn it on and you see our logo. And I haven't been able to find it. It's not anywhere in any kind of a root directory or anything. Yeah, the
1: the the way that they did those computers was not really designed for you to have that kind of custom right uh, access to be able to make personalize things that way. That was not a big thing uh, in a way that it is isn't it just expected now. Yeah, and it was and it, it was not that long after that 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 was actually a thing that was fairly common. But you, one has to bear in mind that for all the the weight that Apple has now. Um, there was a time, yeah. mid '80s, uh, definitely, where they were not the big fish. They were not the, the you know, juggernaut of technology that they that they became. Um, and certainly, a lot of the decisions. I mean, I, God, my friend Calvin Key, uh, who passed away when I was in college, wonderful guy. Just genius. Um, Huge Doctor Who fan. Huge Star Trek fan. Um, We, one of the people I used to uh, have when I was younger, have that one of those handful of people I could just sit there and talk and and do stuff. He did did a great master. He played a great uh, third, uh, uh, um, third Doctor master.
0: of so the Delgado version. The Delgado
1: version. Um, and we did a Doctor Who costume thing back in, in the 80s. Uh, anyway. Um, Wait, is there photographic evidence of this? There is not. Um, and we were... It's really unfortunate because I was the fourth doctor. He was the master. Um, our friend uh, uh, Kenny Chong was a uh, second doctor. Um, we had a Cyberman, a Dalek that was... um. I want to say it was a rolling, a walker. We <laughs> it was the framework, and uh, I had my mom had a big mixing bowl, so I Why built a paper mache dome for the Dalek head and uh, uh, the big mixing bowl. And um, I built a canine that was basically a roll along on a string. Oh,
0: sure. Right. Um,
1: and no, unfortunately, there's not. There's also no photos of my uh, fourth Doctor console that I built in my basement. Um, which is just—it's just stuff you don't think about at the time. You don't think about getting the photos, right. and some of those photos just never survive when there are photos. Anyway, um, Calvin would have—we uh, used to do Load Runner on his Apple II, mm. and back in the day, uh, for those of you, those of you gamer folks, uh, Load Runner—if you're not familiar with it at all—was a run from the guards game. And you would dig holes, and you would either for them to drop through, or for you to drop through to lower levels. And it was a oh sure it was nice. a a ladder digging game. And the flip side of the disc, it was a double sided uh, floppy. Um, well, that's unusual. Um, See, too many of those. But the flip side, you could build your own levels. Mm. And so the first level one, the the first side was was play the game. The second side was build your own levels. And then you could play those. And that was the thing is that we had this ongoing thing where we could each try and design a level that could be beat, but was so close to impossible <laughs> that the other guy couldn't beat it. Um, that was, uh, yeah, for those, of you, for those of you who program games, who, who enjoy the, the back-end stuff on the gaming, um, there was a lot of uh, fun for, for, and it was the kind of thing that you could do as a novice, as a teenager. Um, in a time when computing was just not something, programming was just not something
0: that a lot of people were doing. Right, uh, Robert. Uh, to answer your question in the chat, I don't know if I could make a custom screensaver on this Mac or not. That, that I hadn't, I actually had not thought about that as an option for uh, for that. That may be a, a possible way that we could get our logo over there, but uh, I'll have to investigate. That. See if you can do it, Nate. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually the design, uh, the design that I have for the screensaver mm-hmm. is sort of eight bit, and it takes our logo in the Mac wallpaper colors, yeah. so it looks like it's a Mac wallpaper, but it's our logo instead of the Mac logo. So I'm I I I would really like to be able to put sure, it up there. Sure, sure, sure. Not that anybody's going to be able to see it. Well, but still. But, you know, that's, that's not the way it is. All right, Go. so on to Asimov. Asimov, yeah. the writer of Batman. Did you know he wrote a Batman story? This is in The Further Adventures of Batman, edited by Barton Greenberg. It's a collection of short stories that came out after the Michael Keaton yep. Batman movie. And what so 90 when that came out? Uh, 80. I want to say 89. Let me look here. Uh, yes, 89. Okay. This compilation, and um, we po- I posted this and the in the companion volume, the Joker book, over on Twitter, and a couple of people recognized the cover mm-hmm. art from Kyle yeah. Baker, and the unusual thing about Asimov's story. Have, you, have How how long has it been since you've read these?
1: probably I honestly I I probably got that book in 89 90 and so probably read it in
0: the early 90s. I read the Asimov story again today just to refresh. Yeah. And it's not about Batman. It is about the Bruce Wayne who was the inspiration for the Batman comic strips. So basically Asimov's take was what if there actually was a Bruce Wayne and he was this guy who helped out law enforcement, and he was well off, and was the inspiration for the mm, thing. And he's sure. meeting with this secret society of people called the Black Widowers, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're all trying to figure out this thing with the butler, and it's 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 a it's an interesting take on the whole mythology mm-hmm. because it's just a slice, and it's not what you would expect. Yeah. And so it's it's a fun it's a fun little story. but Asimov wrote a lot,
1: <laughs> yeah, and and people tend to think of him as a science fiction writer, but uh, like the black widowers was he had a whole mystery line, yeah, um and there was a most i think all of them were short stories. I don't think they were I don't think any of his novels were mystery novels or no. they were they were science fiction novels that were also mystery novels. But the,
0: um, yeah, they were primarily science fiction. Yeah,
1: The yeah. Caves of Steel and, and that particular series of books, the uh, Lige Bailey, uh, Arden and um, they were mystery novels in a science fiction setting. Um, and I still maintain that um, they are ripe, ripe I tell you, for a uh, prestige cable uh, season-long
0: series. Um, well, the, the Foundation series is getting adapt, uh, adapted. I, I know think. Was I, it Amazon or Hulu I, is doing. I, th- I, think, I, think uh, uh, I can't remember which one.
1: now. I can't even. Um, but I think that they are. I think that on one hand, I'm really excited about that. But I have my same my the same trepidation I have any time there's a Dune adaptation. Is mm-hmm. that they are hard things. There's a lot of discussion of. Politics, psychology, and history, in the Foundation series. Right. Um, psychohistory is one of the core things. There's a there's theory there, and it's great on the page. And I'm concerned, and I, I hope I hope to be very surprised. At, well, I'm not surprised, because my understanding is that everybody involved really is treating this as a labor of love, that they love these stories and they want to make this work. Right. But I'm also, and I and I have no problem with the slower-paced series. I don't have, you know, I I like things taking the time to unfold. It doesn't bother me when you know I have to wait a little bit to get the story because sure. I know that it's a. Um, but I also know that that's if you're not familiar with something like the the way that that particular series, because it's quite a few books. Uh, in fact, it turned into part of the whole future history thing. Yeah,
0: it was a, it was a big project time um,
1: it was done. But but at least certainly if you look at say the first 3 books. Um, you're looking at something that that it takes its time to tell its story. And it's Asimov was not necessarily known for writing space opera. He wrote science fiction.
0: Yeah.
1: Heavy on the word science. Uh, and and uh, my my biggest concern is what audiences, the modern audience who hasn't been exposed to his writing, who didn't grow who didn't grow up reading, uh, Asimov is going to look at something like that. And I'm you know I mean we we had shows like um, Westworld, which took its time to tell its story. Yeah. Um, Watchmen just came off of from all, most accounts a very successful season. It took its time to tell its story. Um, these are these are shows that were successful and successful with audiences. That did so. I I got my fingers crossed no. that you can um, yeah. the, the people people will respond well to this because I'd like to see more. of
0: it. Yeah, and and a technical uh, thing, real quick for those of you who are watching on video. Those of you who are listening to the podcast, it's not going to matter. But every now and again, you get a little flash between a couple of shots. Um, I'm using a wireless keyboard now to control uh-huh. the the broadcast software, and when I hit a button to cut. Back and forth, mm-hmm. for some reason it doesn't want to hold on to the next oh, shot. So I'm not, I'm not flash framing on purpose. You decided just, you're not, you're not Mission Impossible it, editing. No, I, I'm <laughs> not. But it, every now and again, at, the Bourne movies that editing. every now see it, it. I guess maybe I'm hitting the key a little bit too quickly mm-hmm. um, because it has a tendency to not want to stay in the same. The same place, so so we're working on that. We're working on that. No technical adjustments, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm
1: I've got I'm uh, there's some really fantastic big storytelling in the Foundation series. I hope it leads to something like a give me a three laws of robotics series where every episode or every couple of episodes adapts. Mm. Uh, give, give me the Susan Calvin Chronicles, <laughs> uh, because honestly, I think that that's a we we've got Homeland. Um, we've got all these great shows that play with really big ideas uh, in 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 ethics and morals and on, on podcasts and TV shows. We've been doing this. There's we've been having this great programming, um, and. There's so much rich stuff to be mined there in, in the theory of artificial intelligence right. and what is alive, what does life mean? And a lot of stuff that we're dealing with on a technical level now, the question is, you know, is AI bad? Asimov was, explo- uh, what, and certainly not the only science fiction writer to do it at the time, but he yeah. was one of the ones, I mean, he, the three laws of robotics. Came from Isaac
0: Asimov. Well, in uh, the series Continuum, which ran on Sci-Fi, mm-hmm. a time travel story where the, you talk about ethics and science and, and the question of you know, what are you doing? Are you doing yeah. the right thing? Essentially, the entire show was, "I'm sending a law enforcement agent back to change everything because yeah. we got it wrong," mm-hmm. and. The the question for the cop is, do I have the right to change things? Mm-hmm. Am am I making decisions that are changing things? And if they're changing them, are they changing for the better, or am I making things worse? What do I do here? And it was very interesting to see that dilemma play out. Well, they did it with Twelve Monkeys as well, especially with the TV series. Yeah, right, think, and
1: and a lot of times I thought they handled it really really well. I was surprised how much I enjoyed the philosophical side of that shape.
0: time travel can be really 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 difficult to master it's not it's not a storytelling milieu for the faint-hearted
1: well I think you can you can treat it like you do say the back to the future movies which is there's a relatively clean-cut crisis to solve yeah um, or you can treat it in the I'm about to break the universe uh, way that I think some of the uh, things like Continuum and Twelve Monkeys and, and things like that would actually dive into where you know you are actually you're changing is changing the future changing the past to save the future actually going to be a thing that isn't is going to end in any way shape or form well
0: generally I don't think it does
1: you know, very, few, very few people can be the doctor, swinging in, you know, opening the blue doors and saying, "I'll fix it," um, and then, and then, sixty minutes later, go, "Okay, I'm out,
0: bye." <laughs> yeah, but when when the doctor fixes things, generally, some people end up dead.
1: Right, and and if you if anybody who's um, uh, plug for uh, Tartar Sauce coming out Wednesday, uh, we've got we just finished what review. We just finished watching the second episode of the new season. And there were some interesting time travel things happening there. Um, And uh, a thing that um, I'm not entirely sure works when it comes to a time travel thing, but it's, (laughs) you know, it's Doctor Who. There's a certain amount of. Okay, sure. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, right.
0: So I have to admit. I have not read uh, Foundation yet. Oh, okay. I, I have mm-hmm. I have a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Ray sent me a copy of Foundation or Second Foundation. So now I've got I've got I think I've got Foundation. I've got Second Foundation and a couple of others. And for a certain part of my brain, it feels like it might be a little bit. I don't want to say intimidating, but it's daunting because you know that it's, you know, from everything that anybody has ever said, it's a slog. It's it's not your typical easy reader right. type of mm-hmm. book. It's something that's very dense and it's yeah. very, very... Stint. So my my whole thing is, one, finding the time to read any of this stuff Mm -hmm. because right now um work-wise i'm in and out of the office but uh i'm doing a lot of this stuff you know managing all of the video productions and all of the shows and 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 recruiting new people and talent and writers and all that Mm -hmm. and really the only time that i have to just stop and read is when i have lunch when I remember to have lunch, and yeah. so it's it's one of those things. Oh, when am I going to when am I going to have the time to read this stuff? <laughs> because I would like to read it before the series comes out. Sure. Um,
1: yeah, it, it is a dense series. It's again, it, it, if if you're unfamiliar, if you haven't read it, and you and you have read the Dune series um, or Lord of the Rings or The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, or um, uh, Terry something by Terry Brooks, I mean, or, or you know. Um,
0: or Jordan, or,
1: Jordan. Or, Yeah, or Tad Williams, or some of these other books, who write really, really dense novels. Oh. And they where they go, they, they worldcraft in a way where they kind of throw you in, and then just keep bombarding you with all this information. Right. And there's a certain, tr- you know, obviously, they're trusting their audience to follow along, which is great, um, but it can be very daunting. Um, and certainly, when you consider the scale, considering how much uh, Asimov tied his robot series, his Empire series, which are not small uh, no, quantity not. Of, of words there. So all of this stuff ties together in one giant arcing story. And I think not all of it ties together as cleanly as one might want. Mm. Um, but it the, the framework works. No. Some of the details are a little bit like, Okay, sure. But but considering that he did it over the length of period of time that he did, right. Considering it's kind of like the same way that, you know, Heinlein stuff all connects. It's like, you know, at the end Heinlein sits there and goes, "It's all real and it all connects. <laughs> it's the multiverse theory and it all works." You know, here's the council of universes. And, you know, it's But certainly but but Asimov is on the hard edge of the science fiction spectrum. Yeah, you know, he was he was a scientist.
0: Biochemist, I think, right? Um, I think so. And he was at Boston University for a long time, right?
1: Uh, But he was a mystery author. He was a science
0: fiction author. He was a science writer. He was actually, as a matter of fact, the only, so far, the only writer to have a book in every category of the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, mm -hmm. And for those of you who are of an age, look up Dewey Decimal System, and you'll see. They still uh, use it in libraries. Libraries are still a thing. Libraries are still a thing. Thank Libraries God. are very important. So I'm going to reach over here and grab a mouse. Sure. I um, click, so for those of those you who aren't familiar
1: with Foundation, How about a, I'll give you a super brief, broad strokes kind of thing. So, so one, of, one of Asimov's um, uh, collection of stories, collections of, of linked tales is his Galactic Empire series. And um, as all galactic empires are wont to do, empires rise, empires fall. And in the ending days of this galactic empire, uh, that again, all this stuff connects together, uh, loosely and tightly, depending on how it is, uh, there's a scientist named Harry Seldon. And he is a psychohistorian. He develops this this, uh, way of looking at information uh, history and psychology and and all these things and mathematics and puts it all together into this thing he calls psychohistory and he enables him to predict broad strokes how large groups of people are going to behave individuals it's very very hard to predict what they're going to do but as a group and once you get up to a certain num- level of numbers you can predict how people how cultures are going to behave and he uses this to sit there and go, the empire is gonna collapse. And it's gonna be bad. How do, what do I do to make sure that humanity doesn't wipe itself out? We've got this giant sprawling galactic empire. It's not, we're gonna have some rough times ahead. What do we do? How, what process, what actions can I take that are gonna make it possible for humanity to have a good next chance after this goes bad.
0: You clone yourself and call yourself Snoke.
1: Um, different empire, <coughs> although uh, all, all empires, uh, generally speaking, uh, very rarely in science fiction does the word empire have a positive connotation. Usually you come up with a different word like federation or alliance. Or something else, because empire, empire has bad connotations uh, historically. Sure. I'm not saying um, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the Niven um series, that Motan God's Eye, uh, has a galactic empire with with a royalty system, and it works. But there's certainly uh, a tendency in science fiction to go empire. Da, 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 da. yeah you just, sure. you just instantly think bad guys
0: i uh i have to that reminds me, we've just come out of christmas mm-hmm. and there was uh a time a few years ago when uh star wars in concert was here uh-huh and see look here we've got our our face off camera everything facing the working, wrong everything's way working. Everything's <laughs> but, working. but we're looking away from each other I well mean, you know. yeah we gotta okay, i gotta i gotta reset <laughs> the positions of the cameras that's working. all right but the cameras are working they are. that's really the nice. whole point um so a few years ago star wars in concert was here in kansas city and um it was christmas time mm-hmm. and of course it was cold and sure, you yeah. know, snow on the ground and whatnot. And as we're coming out of the concert, of course, I've got the Imperial March in my head because we've just seen. Sure, right, right. Huh? And I, and for whatever reason, the idea, you know, for a very long time, and I'm still kind of working my way out of it. Um, I've not been a big Christmas guy i don't i don't do christmas today this this past year was the first time i put up a christmas tree and sure. well since since we did the dalek christmas tree I, for our very first episode of this show which was
1: several years a long,
0: ago. long time ago a mm-hmm. couple of three and so i haven't i haven't put up a tree um but you know it, i'm the grinch right i'm a grinch of, of sorts and it just The three pop- words that describe you, sir, and are and I quote. Popped into my head. What if you take the Imperial March <laughs> and merge it with the Grinch's theme? And it works. I can <laughs> hear it in my head and I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking, I need to make this arrangement happen. I need to arrange it. Sure, music. sure, sure. So I investigated getting because you gotta get the source you know, get get the sheet music right, mm-hmm. and um, I found a, a copy of the conductor's mm, m- sure, right, the conductor's yeah. sheet music for the Imperial March, right? Yeah, which is the official licensed conductor's score, mm-hmm. and it's seventy five dollars. Yikes! <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah. I'll do it later, <laughs> and I haven't come, back, I haven't come back around to it. But you know that the idea of the horns doing the the, Grin, the Grinch melody over sure, yeah. the Imperial March. Yeah, it's I I can, I can hear it in my head, and I think there's only a couple of places where it would be. You know transitions with because yeah. there's a key there's a key change and then there's a couple of places there and I was like yeah I have to figure out some way to fudge that but it
1: it works so well. I'm uh, I'm not a gigantic fan of Christmas music. I find I was in the retail world for well over a decade and and uh, you know after a while it all just wears you down and you become bitter and twisted and dark inside. <laughs> I've never really gotten over that. Um, I was primed for it anyway, but. So I don't have a lot of great love for Christmas music. A lot of it is I find very irritating, um, and I'm I'm happy when other people enjoy it. It's just not one of my favorite things. Um, but years ago, I was I got up. Uh, my uh, my grandmother had uh, been diagnosed with dementia, and it was a lot. Really, the last time I saw her, where she was still uh, able to have a conversation, and we, we, there was a lot of repetition in the conversation at some sure, point, but, there will be. um, uh, she was still there. And so I was lucky when I had that opportunity to go up to Iowa and visit. Um, and so I'm driving back and it's just as, I was in the re, I was in the retail world at this point again. And so I, I was, it was before Christmas, but there's plenty of Christmas music playing. Um, and I was driving through a stretch of Iowa. Have you ever been to Iowa? There's large stretches where you just there is no radio signal, right? Um, or there's a lot of country music, which I'm not a fan of. Um, I like old school country. I don't like modern country very much. I like I like your your classic, you know, your 1940s, 50s, and 60s country right. music. Now, but,
0: are you listening to FM or AM?
1: Um, this was a
0: looking for anything on the dial <laughs> kind of thing because there's a couple of places um, I when I when we drove to. Where was I? Where was I going? I want to say that I was driving out to Western Oklahoma for a Mm, job. Sure. Yeah. And as I'm coming back, I'm listening. I'm I'm scrolling through the different AM stations, and it was, it was either no, I was coming back from Chicago C two E two. I was coming back from Chicago.
1: Yeah.
0: And we, I was picking up. Radio stations from Des Moines mm-hmm. and from Cleveland, mm-hmm. sure. and there was one other one. And it was way far away. I was a boy. The AM is bouncing pretty well today. Oh yeah, right? yeah. So, so, but so it's it's hard every now and then when you when you do get out in those middle of nowhere places. Yeah. that's really rough.
1: Yeah. So I was driving, and this is this is back in this was back in probably the. Supposed to be in the late '90s, so um, oh yeah, must have been late '90s. Uh, I don't even, I don't think it was two thousand yet, and and so there wasn't like an internet, there wasn't, you couldn't do stuff with your phone and that sort of stuff. Um, right. I, had, I did, I had a broken tape player in the car, and the kind of thing that you know, a track so, or cassette. It would have been a cassette. Okay, and that was my 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 Saturn from the from the uh, '90s, and the unfortunately, you know, there's just You take what you can get and so I would occasionally I'd find a song and it'd be like, ah, it's a country music song, whatever. Mm. And it was foggy. So I'm zipping along and I got this like, you know, so it was was this weird kind of eerie thing. And then I found a station there, some Christmas music. And I'm just like, ah. So I turned it down (laughs) to a low level. So it's just, it's noise, but I can't, you know, have to. And the Grinch song came on. And I cranked it and realized it was a cover. Oh, and I have never been able to find this again. I keep I look for every every couple of years. I go looking for it. Somebody out there will know what it is. Um, and so it was in the late '90s, uh, and it was a cover of it, the. The guy did a pretty good Boris Karloff. It wasn't you know he wasn't right. he wasn't trying to imitate it, but he had this, he had a deep voice, and he managed to make it work. But you get to the chorus, and the. the, the the guitar kicks in, and it's like being in here," and I was, just like,
0: I was just like, this is great." <laughs> it was so. It was a country music. Well, no, it was it was it was, a, it, was it was rock and rock. roll,
1: but it was just. I mean, the, you know, it almost seemed, it, and it wasn't. It's uh, It wasn't Brian Setzer, was and of course, Brian Setzer was big during this period of time as well. um but uh and so it didn't it didn't have that kind of uh 1950s yeah. rockabilly kind of thing but it was it almost I had noticed the, my just,
0: brain just went
1: straight oh down i know the guitar i was like That's oh guy i know but it, and, and it wasn't brian Sessler. and he, i believe he, he has done a cover of it yeah uh but it wasn't that and i i want to say it was if and in my memory it, it you know there was again you couldn't go online and go hunting for things the way you can now right uh but I want to say that it was probably something, it was a smaller band that never quite took off. There's, there's, you know... Uh, well, there's
0: got to be a copy of it somewhere. I know. I and
1: I was just, So somebody, if somebody comes across this, uh, let me know, because it's, it's a fantastic cover, and it was exactly what I needed driving through the middle of Iowa, just going...
0: <laughs> 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 well, you know who sang that song? The voice of Tony the Tiger. It's not Boris Karloff singing. Boris Karloff did the voice right, exactly, right. of the French yeah. of the marriage. But the song itself is sung and I can't remember his name, but I'd have to look it up. Um, the the man who was the voice of he's the original voice of Tony the Tiger mm-hmm. from Frosted Flakes commercials. They're great. Yep.
1: Yeah. So But I mean, you know, when you when you think about the kind of amazing stuff that you end up getting out of pop culture from time to time. It's the legs mm. that the the original Grinch, not not knocking the various film adaptations, which I am not fans of. If you're a fan of them, that's great, you, no. all all power to you. But there are they have, the there's the,
0: something missing. The
1: Benedict Colorbatch one was better. No, to me,
0: I didn't see that one.
1: But only because it seemed to hue a little closer to the original. Um, but it was it's a matter of I disliked it less. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Again, no offense if you've if, you, if you've got if, and if you're if your kids love those movies, you know, if you, you watch them with your kids, any time. That's that's are. absolutely that's absolutely great. I I completely on board with that. Um, but it's one of those things where give me the give me the original, mm-hmm. uh, give me uncut, give, give me all of the show, give me give me one of the greatest um, horror villains of all time doing a cartoon. <laughs> Um, do you, and and uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's something about the animation style, that sort of stuff. I mean, sometimes you just get it right. There's so many that, there's a ton of that stuff that just existed yeah. and ha- doesn't have the legs that, that does. It's just one of the things, you just never know what's going to survive. What's going to be, you know, coming back to Asimov, when you consider the sheer amount of science fiction that was coming out and the stuff that actually has, when you look at what pop culture tends to respond to, in, in science fiction, um, that there is an audience, there has continued to be an audience for stuff that is not necessarily the easy read. Um, there's nothing wrong with big, big adventure space opera, but the fact that there has been, a, a, there's a string of science fiction, which has always been about the ideas and not necessarily the adventure aspect, Right. there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a there's an audience for everybody in science fiction. Um, there's a there's a somebody somebody is writing for you. You may not have found him yet, um, and you may be you may be the kind of person who reads it all, who loves everything from you know silly science fiction all the way up to you know basically hardest science fiction that you can possibly get, where it's all physics equations and I five pages of character development, you know yep. what I
0: mean? And then you have that segment of the population that is all about Harry Potter and the Hunger Games, the Tumblr. But you know what? Um, That's fine, too,
1: because there is... Harry Harry Potter is a... Well, Harry Potter is a fantasy series. It's not a science fiction series, True, for one thing. but... You know. And fan- fantasy, again, has its own range. It goes from extremely light fantasy all the way up to the things like... You know George R. R. Martin, Tad Williams, some yeah. of these, some of these people who are writing, um, st- oh, Tolkien. Um, you know the. Um, I was never a huge Terry Brooks fan, but certainly there's there's depth to these series. Mm-hmm. There's there's a certain amount of commitment to the, and it's different hard science fiction versus hard fantasy. But to some degree, you know, it's a world crafting thing on the fantasy side.
0: Yeah, well, and and world world building on the science fiction side of things is very, especially for these big, epic, sweeping tales like Foundation or or Dune or any of those, where you have to have all of this in place on how this universe works, how this world works, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it it gets parceled out as you go through the the books. But you have to have it all in place ahead of time. Well, At least to a certain extent, you've got to have a certain amount of it ready to go so you can start adding those details and start peppering in the, also, the backstories and history I also the think you
1: end up with something like with Asimov. You saw it with Asimov, you saw it with Bradbury, you saw it with Clark, um, less so with Frank Herbert, although he did write short stories as well. Um, you saw it with uh, well, you pretty much saw it with any of the big science fiction people who are writing novels at a time because really uh, a lot of the big names, the folks who have the the impact on the genre, were got their start doing short fiction. They were short story writers, right? And they would build up to a novel. And somebody like Asimov certainly hell He built the he built the structure for his. Uh, robot series um, out of short stories, and when you got into the novels like *The Caves of Steel* and, and the, that particular series, which is again, give me my give me my prestige series, um, where they're these big, they're these science fiction mysteries. He had established the three laws of robotics and built up the iRobot Susan Calvin stories. So where he where he create he built he basically gave you the history of. AI in his universe, right. where where you basically built simple robots up to things that were all intents and purposes living beings. Or the distinction between them. And there was never a question, I think, in Asimov's mind, that you were, at least until the the later stories, where you actually had this evolution, you know, this mechanical evolution, where you the more they developed this positronic brain. And this is a thing that you if you ever watch Star Trek and Data, positronic brains were invented by Asimov. The idea of a brain that you could build a brain that thought
0: like a man, that had a human capacity for self-reflection. Now, was that was Bicentennial Man the first place where that showed up? It wasn't. No, I want but that to... was that was the whole evolved robot. Yeah, because I think you. I mean, thing. really, you
1: look at you got if you go back to I Robot, um, which was the the.
0: Um, iRobot was the first one in that series of short stories, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. 1942
1: Nineteen forty-two was the first of the, the Three Laws of Robotics which was 19, 1942 Isaac Asimov invented the Three Laws. We still use them still today use them. In, in fiction because there is something, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the, the Three Laws, by the way First law is a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm Second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human being unless such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Now, if you look at those laws, you can see lots of different ways that you could have conflict. Yes.
0: Yes. And um, and things could go horribly, horribly wrong when the conflict happens, right? Like but we see in two thousand one.
1: Sure, or exactly. or every time that Jim Kirk ran across a computer, <laughs> um, that he could sit there and work as because you would run into these. Basically, it comes down to uh, these laws are mathematical equations. Now listen a, very
0: carefully, Norman. I
1: lie <laughs> exactly, um, but they're they're equations. It's if a. If B and then yeah. C, so, and you, when you run in, so robots think this way. You know, you've got the math, the math of it. It's the, the zero one zero one zero one on off on off on right. off. Uh, and on your simple, your simple brains, the simple early positronic brains, you run into issues where the robot would be given a direction they could not complete without violating the law, and they would, it would go awry. And then you get things like two
0: thousand and one. Um, you know, I think for me, that with with HAL 9000, with HAL going crazy, part of me understands that it's, you know, the machine having an aneurysm because of conflicting orders. Mm-hmm. But I think you could argue an exception to that as well, because how much... Was the robot under the influence of alien intelligence rather than just? There's a certain question,
1: I, especially considering when you get into the later series where Hal becomes part of the star child. Spoiler alert for 20 year old novels. What? <laughs> That's crazy talk. But Hal actually becomes part of the entity. So there's some question there. But I think Hal also ran into the thing that is, is a thing that pops up in Asimov stories, which is. Um, he had two conflicting instructions of equal weight. And some of the things, some of the the more intelligent robots uh, in Asimov stories would find ways to see that these are both complete, on one level, completely opposite commands that conflict. However, this one, I can weight slightly heavier. Therefore, I can wiggle room around in little gray areas. Right. And then later this becomes a thing when some of the more intelligent uh, robots, or Daniel Ovaloff from the Caves of Steel series, um, becomes smart enough
0: and they human enough an
1: that he can sit there and go, but wait, there are these are all well and good laws and I completely intend to follow them. However, in the extent of a situation where these laws cannot apply to, where the, where these laws cannot answer the answer, give me an answer to how I must proceed. What do I do? I will come up with an answer for that, and this opens up a whole area of storytelling because, on some levels, you end up with the three laws give you both a framework to hang science fiction storytelling on, but it also Uh, gives you a gigantic playground. Oh, sure. So you've got some limitations but you also have this wide area to play. And then he played in that area until he sat there and went, ooh. I found a way to make it bigger. And so he did. And I think that's one of the things that, the cool things about Asimov was that he was always feeding his brain himself because he was always reading. He was always studying. Um, He loved just about every subject there was. He did not just want to sit there and go, I want to just know this. Um and so it it enabled him to tell all kinds of different stories.
0: Well, other than that but from from a non-fiction standpoint, I mean, you know, he's got everything from children's books to mm-hmm. Bible commentaries. I mean, sure. he was he was all over the map with with his subject matter. Mm-hmm. So, uh Robert asks, anyone else remember Asimov and Zeroth? Yeah. Law the Zeroth
1: Zir- Law, which is actually may trying really, really hard not to actually give away a plot point, which, just mentioning the Zeroth ah. law does not give away the plot point. Right. But yeah, the the Xeroth law is, is very important to the three laws of robotics, because it ends up being um, the fourth law, really. Um, because there comes a point, I got a spoiler alert for 20 or 30 year old novels, um, where the robots look at humanity and go, you need someone to help you because you guys are having problems. <laughs> yeah. We someone's got to take care of you.
0: It, it seems to me that we're almost at that point now,
1: but yeah, but we keep we keep thinking of the of the the AI as being a risk. Asimov recognized and you certainly had AIs in his stories being uh, villainous or or just not uh not necessarily working to our benefit. Working to our benefit. But you also had stories because, in many ways, the the linking together of his stories, especially the latter part of his life, was all about the AIs looking at humanity and saying, "We can help you not kill yourselves before you get a chance to do this," and and uh, again, Arsenio Ovala becomes up being this character. Uh, a almost semi-immortal character because he's an android. He just keeps going. Replaces his parts when he goes along. Right. Um, he looks like a man. Um, he uh, uh, thinks in many ways uh, like a human being, but more. And he basically looks at humanity and says, if I find ways to push things behind the scenes, then maybe I can keep this fascinating species alive a little bit longer. And I can build them towards what they they can be. Isn't and it's it bene- sort of a benevolent, uh, uh, manipulative uh, figure.
0: Yeah, and that's not the only place where that shows up in science fiction. Because oh, no. you look at, for example, Q and Star Trek The Next Generation, <clears throat> where at the beginning of the show, in the pilot, Oh, yeah. He's like, "Oh, you little insects with your micro monkey brains mm. and how, you know, why are you out here?" And you get to the finale where Q say, sees, you know, he he finally, you know, acknowledges fully the potential that humanity mm-hmm. has for evolving into this something something right. great and fantastic. And there are other places where it's, you know, humanity has so much potential, let's give it a nudge. Or, or let's, you know, play referee and bounce them back into the right part of the sandbox or, or those kind of things. And <laughs> it's, well, it's a, it's, a nice, it's a nice
1: thought to think that somewhere out there is an intelligence that is like ours, that looks at us and their thought isn't, let's invade or let's wipe them out for our own benefit. It's ooh, these people, these these things are interesting. Yeah. Let's see what they do if we keep, if if we keep them. Let's keep them from blowing themselves up long enough for them to do something fun.
0: And then, of course, you've got the the, the aliens that are poke, 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 poke. oh, sure. It's, what's this made of? Exactly. What's this <laughs> thing? What happens if we do this?
1: <laughs> if I if I bend it like this, does it break? Um, <laughs> but that's a, a foundation. Is that to a large degree because it's it's. It's one person seeing, you know, the the expectation, again, a little bit broader from what I mentioned earlier, the empire is going to collapse and and all the indications historically, if you extrapolate from what these historians have been seeing, you're looking at like 30,000 years of like basically a new dark ages in space, which is going to be really, really bad because, you know, resources and transportation between planets is going to be, you know, severely curtailed, you know, millions and billions are going to die. And the idea was that if you manipulate these situations, if this Harry Seldon, this scientist, can manipulate the situation, set things up, he can maybe cut that to a third, maybe 10,000 years. And it's going to be terrible, but you know the damage will be less. And so he sets about trying to figure out a way to do this. This is what the foundation is for. Um, the problem is, is that because it is broad strokes people, mm-hmm. you're dealing with millions of people to come up with your this is how people are going to behave. It doesn't take into account the individual. This, that one individual comes along and breaks things. Um, the person who comes along who who is, you know, uh, a Genghis Khan, or an Adolf Hitler, or a Gandhi, or a Jesus, or somebody who changes things in a way that you cannot calculate. It doesn't show up in the, you, your equations just can't solve for it, because there's no precedent right. for that person,
0: and it's not a minor thing. It's a it's a significant impact. Right, point.
1: and and you can't, but you can't you yeah. can't plan for that ripple effect. Right, because sometimes you know it, uh, you know there were um, there were plenty of people who were you know little tin pot dictators like Hitler who didn't blow up into trying to take over the world and kill millions of people. You had plenty of people who you know were trying to stop. Uh, another country from ruling over their people Uh who didn't have the effect that Gandhi had and you know for from a historical standpoint there were a lot of people walking around the the Middle East 2000 years ago doing magic tricks Mm. and whether or not you believe you know whatever your belief system is you don't know their names but you do remember the preacher from Nazareth so I mean there's these things that you can't plan for this so the second foundation are the folks who are trying to do that, who are trying to plan for the individual, for the, for the earthquake model, the one you right. can't plan for. And there was more, and there's so much more to that, and it ends up being this huge series. But it's fascinating stuff, because it's science and history, and all the things that Asimov loved, uh, you know his own, his own personal interest and fun, um, and worked into this big, sweeping space epic, that requires you to, yeah, it,
0: it's a sure, challenging yeah. series. Uh, Robert, in the chat, I think Warhammer 40,000 might be based on Asimov's Fallen Empire in history. I don't know. That's a good question.
1: Um, I I, I'm in, um, I know that, because I've read some of the Warhammer stuff because of, I'm a big fan of Kim Newman, who's a British author. Right. Uh, and he's written, wrote stuff for Warhammer, and not to mention the Warhammer Connections, to things like, um, and this is fan-based. This is all fan-based. Uh, Event Horizon and, Hel- and Hellraiser. Um, there's a, a, a lot of fun fan connections to how uh, uh, well Event Horizon is set, quote unquote, set in the same universe, according to a lot of fans for right. the Warhammer books, um,
0: which is a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, it looks like there's there's there are Reddit threads. Oh sure, apparently, and. Um, this one here the universe of Warhammer 40k versus the universe of Isaac Asimov and it basically what is this every character in machine in Asimov stories together finds the Warhammer universe by accident this may be fan fiction
1: which sounds like it could be um, a lot of fun um, if you uh, in fact um, I need to I guess I need to go to the archive archive of our own and see if they've got a Asimov... i'm sure they do well and
0: Although, there are a number of there are a number of threads that compare the two uh, because i guess there are enough similarities <coughs> that you can oh, justify yeah. comparing the two
1: well so. and i think that if some if you if you came around to write something uh, in science fiction and you were not living in a cave or in a country where you did not get English translations, I mean, because you certainly you go into you know Chinese science fiction, Japanese science fiction, Russian yeah. science fiction, um, uh, South American. Uh, there were South American writers who were not necessarily getting the same kind of exposure to the American pulps. Um, so yeah, you could you could be a writer in like the 60s and 70s anywhere in the world, and maybe you would not. Have the exposure to Asimov as you would in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, any English-speaking nation. Um, but he was also translated into a lot of languages by that point, so the odds go down. Um, and it's it would be hard not to have an influence, or or to at least get an inspiration from one of his stories, because Asimov, Asimov, Clark, Heinlein, um, Anderson, Bradbury, Bradbury, Sturgeon, Sturgeon, all those folks had the impact and the reach that they did. And a lot of them were cutting new ground, and Asimov was one of those people who constantly tread new ground or took an old idea and sat there and went, there's a different way to look at this.
0: Well, and not only that, you have Asimov's magazine. Mm-hmm. You have, you have a, an entire publication that's dedicated to, to uh, exposing an audience to new writers mm-hmm. new science fiction stories and, and anthologies like that. And you have, you know, out of that, you've got, you know, there were a number of those zines that came out besides Asimov's. You've got Analog, uh, Astounding. Sure. Um, I think think Analog became Astounding. Uh, You had Amazing Stories, you know, all of those different magazines. And Asimov's is still around Mm -hmm. after all this time. And I want to say it's... I want to say it started in 1953-ish, somewhere in there. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up, that up again. But um, yeah, you know, I have to wonder though how much of Asimov's speculative fiction was influenced by the fact that he was not native-born American. Because I don't remember how, how what what age he was when he came to the United States. He was yeah. born in born in Russia. I believe, he was right? born in Russia, and um, hang on, I haven't I, I looked at that earlier. Because he came to the United States and and just dove into all sorts of subjects like you were talking about. He was studying everything, but I I have to wonder. If he had been born in the United States, would we have had an Isaac Asimov?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, because I mean, he was a Russian Jew, and they were they weren't an Ortho they weren't a, a particularly practicing family. Mm. Um, but it was the nineteen twenties, um, and. Russia certainly had its share of anti-Semitism at the time. Now, there was certainly there were a lot of of, of Russian Jews who uh, got to avoid um, a lot obviously the the major anti-Semitism of of middle europe um, and and the Nazi the rise of the Nazis. but um, there was also not that much of a market. Or a successful market, I guess, more accurately. Of uh, While there were... There, there just aren't that many Russian short story writers and novelists that made it over to the U.S. and the exposure that yeah. they got. That's not to say that there weren't there. I, I guarantee you there were science fiction writers doing short stories and novels in Russia that we've never heard of that we are m- probably going... This guy was a genius. This yeah. woman was amazing. Why did we not know their names? It's because they didn't have the kind of... The the culturally... The <laughs> well, pulps didn't have the footprint.
0: Well, not only that, but the access. You yeah. Know, the, you know, if you're not in the United States, it, especially in that time, you don't have very much access to the publishing industry there Sure. Is in New
1: York. So. Well, and you also look at... You, you tend to forget... Um, because we're so used to the kind of connectedness that we have in the U.S., that it's a relatively recent thing. You go back to the early part of the 20th century; it took a long time for information to make it from one side of the country to the next. Yes. Russia is bigger. The old uh, uh, Soviet and Union, and less developed, and less developed in large parts. And if you go into into the steppes of Russia, you get out on the tundra. You're not talking getting down and picking up a, a paperback from the local drugstore. Not a big thing you were thinking about. Um, and, and it's just, it's just unfortunately the reality of it, so when he, uh, being in the U.S. gave him the ability, not only for the education that he wanted, uh, and to take, you know, because, I mean, the man clearly was very bright, uh, he's a very, very clever fellow, uh, and, and he had the opportunities here that he got in the West, and he could have gotten those opportunities in the U.K., he could have gotten those opportunities in a lot of places, he just happened to be here, we got the benefit of that, um, Because it was a rich environment for storytelling. And he was in with the right group of people, the right company, your Bradburys and your Clarks, and and all these people who were speculative fiction people.
0: Check me on this, but I want to say that he was involved in the early Worldcon feuds. Was he not? Was he part of that um, group? I... She had the Futurians and who was the other the other crowd? Yeah, that were, that were battling back and forth, and mixing Just, it up, and
1: they were the Crips and the Bloods, of the lit set. Um, yeah, and you you, you, and we, you think the internet is a nasty place now? They used to do it in person,
0: <sighs> or or by letter. Yeah, they would write each other. Dear comments.
1: sirs, I should wish to register a complaint about your behavior at this time.
0: There, well, and and you know, there's there's something to that because in the si- the fifties and sixties, you had and and to some extent the seventies, you had the fanzines. Oh yeah. And I we've we've talked about bringing bringing it back and doing one ourselves and. The idea that you type up your essays and letters and reviews and interviews and whatnot in your in your articles and what, and you make copies you physically make copies mm-hmm. of however many that you're going to send out, and you put them in the mail to the people who are buying them you know twenty five cents or five cents or whatever and we need to go up I think. I want to say it's the University of Iowa has of an extensive collection. Somebody has some several thousand pieces of fanzine material that got donated. I think it's the Museum of Science Fiction at the University of Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. And what they're doing right now, they are still—I I have to check and see if they're still doing this. I think they are. They're in the process of scanning all of this material into a digital format, so they have a—they have a—an a, electronic archive of all of this stuff. There's something like thirty or forty thousand pieces yeah. of, of material. And a lot of it is fanzines. A lot of it is stuff that's just written back and forth. But you can find some of this stuff online. And you can see articles where thus and so writer is addressing the points and counterpoints of this person's article. And that person's article is addressing this person's essay. And they're going back and forth. And this is not something where you just fire off an email.
1: No, this was like... This
0: was, I'm going to sit and I'm going to think about this and I'm going to write this essay that's some 1,500 or 2,000 words. Well, that's how criticism is supposed to work. Sure.
1: Criticism is supposed to be well thought out and considered. It's not supposed to, meant to be, <laughs> you're a poo-poo head or what... Emoji, emoji, emoji. emoji. Yeah, it's yeah. just like supposed to be that way. Um, I, I think, and I'm not sure, and someone can correct me on this, I think Asimov missed that. I think because he was... Uh, he came over when he was three. Um, they moved, when, and he was in college until like the th- late thirties. Okay. Um, and so I think that he and he was studying science in college. I think he missed
0: some of the uh, some of the early stuff. Yeah, because that was in that would have been in the what mid to late thirties. I think so. Now I could be wrong. Have... He
1: may have been more involved. I, I just don't think I don't. I'm not saying anything but in this particular bio of him. Because um, I remember
0: having a conversation online with Greg Cox mm-hmm. back when all of the the sad puppies and the in the and the all of that stuff was going on with the Hugo's a few years ago. Right. And uh, we actually talked about it uh, during an interview on live from the bunker when we were doing that show. Yeah. And he talked about science fiction fandom. Has always had these little tiffs and yeah, rifts and and disagreements and spats. And but again,
1: it but used to be a lot more people. Si- would,
0: it's civilized ugly back then.
1: Well, at least at least you knew that if someone was was ripping your works to shreds, they had take, taken the time mm. to rip your works to shreds in a thorough manner, as opposed to just going, "Your work sucks." It's like. Yeah. Sir, I do not care for what you do, and this is why. And you'd sit there and get an explanation. Um, uh, by the way, uh, you, nowadays you, you, you get a rap from well, Professor Ed- Elemental. At least a rap from Professor Elemental <laughs> takes time to write, as opposed to
0: oh, my time travel. No, those are my a, time travel.
1: Travels. You are a schmuck. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like okay, well, that's 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, I may in fact be a schmuck, but to be perfectly honest, I deserve a better class of enemies. Honestly, is what I. That's what we all deserve a better class of enemy. Um, someone who is at least going to treat you. We could.
0: We'd, we could go find some.
1: We don't. Uh, we don't. It would be very closet, easy to do. Oh, I know. <laughs> and the thing is, is that between the two of us, we could make. We could alienate everybody. everybody. <laughs> this is not a plan. This is a bad, bad plan. Let's not do this. Let's not. Uh, but uh, I just, we were talking about um, his his uh, his opportunity. His parents owned the kind of stores or little shops, so he got all these. Books and ah, stuff okay. coming in through. There. So right. he had this reading material available, and he said that he would not have been able to afford to have this access to the written word at such a young age. He was—it was all around him, and that's where he fell in love with the pulps and that sort of stuff as well.
0: I think there is a certain amount of something, and I don't know what it is, but there's a certain amount of something that has been lost. In the absence of the pulps as they used to be, because that that adventure story, that rock 'em sock 'em robot type of story, like Star Wars, you know, or or Buck Rogers, or um, I, I think I think that's I, people want everything. Well, see, because when we were kids. Mm-hmm. We got bullied for liking all of this stuff. We, it was not popular. It was sure, not the right, yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's the thing. And because it's the thing, people want it to be a certain type of thing, a certain level of thing. It needs to be literature. But I think, I think, I think, I think, I think
1: some of the stuff's out there. I think I think the, the, first of all, the pulps are still being published. Not a lot. I know. But they're still out there. You can go, you can find this stuff. People are still, the I have, I have mixed feelings about the self-publishing world. Um, I was a book dealer for a long time. Mm. Um, I was a, as a used book dealer. We would always have someone come into the shop or send us something or, or come in and sit there and go, I've written this book. We're like, yeah, OK, that's, that's nice. And um, we might carry a handful of copies for a little while and see what happens. And then if we didn't carry it, you know, just you know, we didn't buy it from them. We were basically taking it on consignment. Sure. Right? And the same thing. We did the same thing when I was in the retail book world.
0: Where is my book?
1: There is plenty of really, really fantastic self-published fiction right now. There's a lot of garbage, and a lot of that is not necessarily the fault of the writers. A lot of there's a lot of talent in a lot of self-published writers, but there's no technique.
0: Well, and, and that there's a little skill that comes. I think along with the lack of an editor.
1: Oh yeah, because no if question. You don't have,
0: if you don't have the editor, if you don't have somebody who can actually look at it and say, "This works," this doesn't.
1: Now, this is not to say that there aren't problems there as well. Um, however, you may feel about him, and there's some real reasons to. I grew up. Uh, I was a huge. Um, um, oh, for heaven's sake! He wrote the Xanth series, uh, the the Adept series, the Incarnations of Immortality. Piers, uh, Anthony. Piers-, Piers Anthony. Piers um, Anthony. There's some. There's some real questions. And Piers Anthony's some of the stuff that he's written over time has started to look a little creepy in retrospect as we've, we've gotten a little more conscious about how this stuff sounds. Um, but there's some very entertaining stories that he's written over time. And I think some of, you know, again, it's... You run into that, the work versus looking at the crater and going, are you sure that's what you meant to say? Because that's just kind of icky. But, anyway. Um, the he had, he published a book that was his, like one of his earliest novels Mm -hmm. and he published the version that actually hit the shelves versus the version that he wrote and he kept all the notes from the copy editors. And so you had this running thing where you watched the story that he turned in become the story that they published after the copy editors had gotten done with it. And it's a cautionary
0: tale. Oh, sure, I imagine it. And is. he was
1: basically, he said, I, I kept the rights to this. I'm allowed to publish this. I kept all the notes. I'm allowed, this is like, I get to, I'm not going to name names, but this is exactly what they wrote. And he basically, it's, a, it's the butchery of a novel in real time. Mm. And it's a fascinating little, it's a fascinating little, read. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it's, it's I'm, and it's probably out of print at this point. But nonetheless, yes, a good editor is incredibly <clears throat> useful. I've mentioned Archive of of Our Own before. It is a great place to find really, really good fan fiction. Um, There's also some stuff that is in dire need of an editor. And one of the things that Archive of Our Own does well as a community is that it tells you that without being particularly mean. There's not necessarily, they're they're not going to be, you know, they're not gonna sugarcoat it, but they're also not gonna sit there and say, God, you suck. It's like, you know what? You need an editor. Right. Okay, let's talk about how we're, here's somebody who, who's somebody who does
0: editing for me, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's something I ran into when I wrote my book, as hmm. I didn't have an editor. I mean, I I self-edited. I, I really oh, sure. But mine was kind of a unique project in that I had a particular, I had a particular, process and method that I wanted to use. I was experimenting with a technique on that. Sure. Um. Because what started out, it actually it actually spun out of a, of a conversation I had with Dayton Ward because he was doing a piece of flash fiction for an online maker. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What's fl-? yeah, Flash fiction is, is only 800 words. 800 words of fiction. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Right. And so the idea became: well, What what could I write in eight hundred words? Well, it turns out I can't write eight hundred words, because it's my not a lot of words. It's, it's very hard to do. And I thought to myself: Okay, well, what if I expanded the story? Just kept telling. Just just write the story as I as I write it. But if I make every chapter eight hundred words, sure. Okay. And so that became my editing model. So, you know, but but the the fascinating thing for me was that it it helps me tighten my prose in some places. Cuz I go, like, oh, this is too wordy, this is too long, this is the, I I need to I need to put this in a different way in order to get my word count to 800. So so every chapter except the last one Every chapter is exactly 800 words, mm-hmm. except the last chapter, which is 666. But of course. <laughs> which happened a little bit by accident, but I thought, given how it ends, mm. I thought, that actually kind of works. But I've only sold maybe a dozen copies of the book, so nobody's nobody's ever read it. Well, it's I mean, available I, on Amazon.
1: And but I, think that's, I think that's one of the issues that you run into with some of the self-published stuff is that it is very, very hard. If you if you have written a book and have gotten it published, mm. you know how hard it is to get a book
0: published. Yeah.
1: There's um
0: And that's traditional publishing. Right? That's traditional so publishing. Self publishing is fairly easy because Well just...
1: except the problem with self publishing right now in large part is there's still a whole lot of predatory folks out there. Yeah. And a lot a lot of the self published and here's and, and this is this self publishing has often gotten a bad rap um and to some degree it's deserved because there is a lot there's no guarantee you've got an editor or, or there's no quality control or marketing or good marketing there's marketing but there's no good marketing no. the downside the one of the downsides for writers though is that and and you actually saw this in the early days of the pulps as well where they took advantage of writers quite a bit um where basically you're paying to have your book published that still is a thing. That's still very much a thing, and that's I, unfortunately one of the big Don't do that. No, yeah. If, if somebody, if, you, if you've got a story idea, you've got a, a book or a short story or a novel, and they say, if you pay us, we'll publish it, walk away. Yeah, that's not Those the are called
0: vani- vanity presses. Vanity press. presses. Don't and, do vanity press. And vanity
1: presses are, um, they are a scam. Come at me, vanity press publishers. Um, I will, I will. I I was a book dealer for 15 years. I can beat you in the argument.
0: Um, Anne Crispin, who is no longer with us, she and another... I don't remember if it was... It wasn't Anne McCaffrey, but Anne Crispin and another author put together a site called Writer Beware. Mm -hmm. And it's still in operation. Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America operated. Right. And, you know, for... Whatever you might think about SFWA, with whatever, um, this is still a, a very useful uh, resource for writers, especially when you when you first get started. Because mm-hmm. Writer Beware basically keeps tabs on editors and publishers and practices, and and it's sort of a directory archive of don't go here go here yeah. and it's its recommendations and it's these are my experiences or I got in contact with these people and they told me x so it's basically a list of everybody and what kind of experience you can expect with them and they have they flag the ones that are problematic it's, don't sure. go to these people they're going to take your money and not publish your book uh, and then there's another one called Predator Editor, mm. which I'm not sure where that one is. But basically if you take editor and you put PR on the front, that's how it's spelled. It's not oh, sure. It's not Predator like the alien predator right. movies. It's predator like right. editor. So uh those two resources, if you're just getting started, especially, look those up, bookmark those, because if you get a contact from somebody it's a you know chrysanthemum press or whatever i'm making that up i have no idea if there's really a chrysanthemum press but if chrysanthemum press comes in and says for 300 dollars, we'll publish your book and we'll put a cover on and everything look them up at the very least i mean there are some vanity press companies out there that are okay. Yeah, not every vanity and, press and, yeah, is a scam.
1: Because vanity press has become a catch-all term for a certain kind of self-publishing. Yeah, and but other you know, look, you can if you want to self-publish your book, you can go to Amazon and you can sell it through Amazon. That's how There's I did mine. Other avenues. Build up an okay. Here's what you do if you want to sell, if you want to sell a book. At this point, this is my personal recommendation. Do not take it as gospel. I'm not doing this, <laughs> but based on my experience, what I've looked at in terms of how I've seen some of this stuff be done. Go find some place where you can develop an audience. Now, whether that's putting stuff out for a cent on Amazon, um, because there's authors who are doing that just to get exposure.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Go to someplace like Archive of Their Own. There's other fan fiction sites out there, and build up a get involved in a community of writers, Uh, whether they're amateur or professional. Yeah. Find a way to connect with these folks and talk with them. And
0: now that I'm thinking about it, I'm gonna look. Okay. I think I know where it is
1: and then you will take this uh, and then you'll get feedback it's uh, a lot of this stuff is free feedback and trust me you're going to want this uh, because whether you're like when Jason and I have done independent film or we do things like this we do you know we do a show like this or H2O uh, H2O or some apocalypse now or uh, uh, any show that we've been doing over the years the we're always looking for feedback from our audience yes. and it's the same thing in writing because when you get to the you Shocking news that it may come, a lot of authors can sell a lot of books and not make a lot of money from major publishing houses. Contracts are not what they used to be. Um, you will hear plenty of, plenty of authors who have a successful series who will sit there and go, yes, I do have a Patreon account. <laughs> and yes, it's helping me pay the bills.
0: Well, and you see a lot now with YouTube, uh, over the last couple two three years where people are streaming and they take the you know, the 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 monetization and the super chats or the whatever um, And we've got you know the PayPal Tip sure. jar link mm-hmm. we've got the subscribe star and all of these things well <clears throat> To a certain extent I don't anticipate Getting any money from any of this sure because it's just so hit and miss, and especially now that you've had three or four different adpocalypses on YouTube, and you've got the COPPA thing, and you've got all of these different changes in the terms of service and whatnot, and their priorities have changed, the algorithm, to okay, okay, fine. I'm not going to make any money on YouTube. That's that's my default. Sure. And it was it was pretty much the same way when I wrote the book, is, okay, I wrote a book, I don't expect to sell copies of the book because it's you know who who am I? Nobody knows who I am, right. nobody knows who it is. And I've been hesitant to use this platform because I have all of these shows mm. that I produce or I supervise or right, manage right. or sure. whatnot. We've got this whole, you know, website no magazine, everything. Well I like, I sh- I should should I show use- my own stuff? Should I show my own stuff? And I'm thinking it's not really. I shouldn't. I sh- it's. But maybe I should. And, well, there's a, there's
1: nothing wrong. Okay, folks, uh, I I'm not going to get any money out of this. Um, Jason and I are friends, but he's not going <laughs> to cut me a check. There is. If you are interested in checking out his book, check out his book. All right. So I'm, okay. okay.
0: Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to throw that up. Okay. Here. here it is. You don't have to. It's called The Hero at the End of His Rope.
1: Um I have read it. I enjoyed it. So that's my little that's my little endorsement there. I'm not going to tell you to buy it. And every time my
0: dad has read it, he's found a spelling error. Well, that's what that's, <laughs> that's, what that's dads how are it, for, it works, right? Um uh,
1: but but here's the thing is that this kind of stuff is my if, my if,
0: Saul Bass uh tribute.
1: If cover. you want if you want to be a writer, don't rule this out because the reality of it is is that very few professional authors get big advance payments um this is this is you you occasionally get the big i'm sure stephen king still gets a big check when he when but he also probably has contracts and i I don't i have no idea okay I'm, i'm i'm speculating here
0: well and the other thing too is advances Get counted against the back end. So if you get an advance of say like ten thousand right. or whatever yeah. from the start, you're,
1: you're not you're not getting ten thousand dollars plus all your other sales. No,
0: you get whatever the the sales and the royalties and all of that stuff in order to make up that ten thousand, and then you start making more money on the back end after that. So, and
1: then if you there are there are still there are still publishing bidding wars, they still happen. Some. But they do not happen very often, yeah. and if you are selling paperbacks, if you are a paperback author, you don't your 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 first one of your books is not coming out in hardback. You're not making that much off each paperback.
0: So should I tease? There's a there's there's a space station in some of this. Sure. And there's a there's a place in the space station called the Butcher's Quarter.
1: Hmm.
0: Why not? Um, the hero's name is Richard Thorpe. And he's got a best friend named Blix, who's not human, and he likes his drink. Sure. And then there's the girl, because sure. you gotta have a girl. It's pulp. Right. You gotta have the girl, and her name is Cinnamon. And yes. there's more to Cinnamon than meets the eye.
1: The juice you said. At,
0: oh yeah. Well, there's a there's a particular place. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say sure. What. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um. But at the end of chapter six, something happens. And P- and I have been told from people that have read the book that when this something happens, they're like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then it comes later that whether I did or didn't. But... I've actually been fairly gratified because at that point people there's a reaction there you go so you kind of want um, you definitely there. kind of
1: want that out of a, a, a book in any case you want to be able to have people have a reaction hopefully a good one hopefully um, there's and, and it can be challenging I think that that certainly I've mentioned I mentioned the chronicles of Thomas Covenant before uh, and the very first book Lord, uh, Lord's Fosbane I think is the first book um there's there's something that happens in the early part of the book with the main character where the author asks a lot of you to to continue even caring about the main character because he does yeah. something so heinous and you're like, this is the guy I'm supposed to be rooting for? Are we sure? Because right now, I would like very much to drop a heavy rock on this person at the least, because yeah. what they did is just so terrible.
0: Not even an anti hero, but just a well, terrible I mean,
1: person. A ter- an absolutely terrible person who does something that is, in in most contexts, and I, when I say most, I mean um, infinitesimally, you know, ninety nine point nine nine a couple thousand. Um, there's no justification for this except they the character never stops paying for this thing.
0: Yeah.
1: In in and it's it's a fa- it's a fascinating structure uh, a question about can you can you redeem a character who's done a, a, a horrible thing and is aware
0: that they've done a horrible thing and in well, this in this yeah, epic I fantasy think, setting, I think acknowledging that you've done the horrible thing is the beginning. of That's the, the beginning.
1: Um, but what if you what if your character who can't forgive themselves? And it and is so full of self loathing. Can you actually be the one to save the world? It's a fat, you know. uh, It's 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 got it's a. There's so much philosophical questions that happens in the course of this science fiction, this this fantasy series. Um, But, but as a reader, I I do not blame a single person who reaches that place in the first book and goes, I'm out. Yeah, because it's it's a perfectly acceptable place for you to sit there and go. I just do not care anymore, and I. If you go further, you might. No guarantee that you will, right? But so it's a challenging thing, and and to your point that we're expecting more out of our our fiction than just a story, an adventure, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To some degree, I think yeah. But I think a lot of that comes out of the folks who were you and I when we were kids. For good and for ill, we're in control of the entertainment now. Our people, our age, are the folks running the show.
0: Now, that's not necessarily always a good thing. It's not,
1: and 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 that's that's and that's well, I'd say it's unfortunate, except that same as it ever was. It depends on what the medium, whether it's, I mean, because it's whichever the next generation is, they change the entertainment, right. and that's been going on since we were we were scrawling it on on walls with rocks, um, but. You know, we we found a nice we found a we found a piece of charcoal on the end of a stick, and we drew a deer. And a, somebody came along and went, "That's a terrible looking deer." You know, shut up, you! And it, you know, somebody got hit with a rock. And as long uh, as
0: there's been art, there there's been, been art been critics. critics.
1: History of the world, part one. <laughs> That's all right. uh, but uh, <clears throat> so I mean, to some degree, that audience grew up with it. So the folks, those of us who cut our teeth. On the pulps of our parents our parents pulp novels I
0: think. Uh,
1: and, and got into Asimov as kids and, and and Bradbury by the time we grew up there we were a lot of the folks who are controlling the the entertainment who have, who have their fingers on quote-unquote the pulse um, and again that's a very broad pulse because mm. um, they want those they want those complicated stories and I don't have a problem with that because I mean, give give me give me your TV shows like Sense Eight, or uh, Westworld, or Watchmen, or um, Game of Thrones, or Star Trek Picard. You know where, where we're playing with these, you know, well, or uh, Deep Space Nine, or certain seasons of Doctor Who, or Battlestar Galactica, where the, we are playing with things that are, you know, bigger. Have more depth. I'm I'm still surprised. We have not gotten a new version of the Six Million Dollar Man that uh, Hughes Hughes closer
0: Hughes closer
1: to cyborg. Yeah, to the to the original novel instead of the the TV show, which which was in many ways an adventure of the week show. But there's a philosophical questions about humanity in cyborg.
0: Yeah,
1: because here's a guy who's wondering how much he is still human because he's missing some pieces
0: and speaking of star trek uh that's uh, and and doctor who that's a odd opportunity for us to plug the programming for the rest of the week Mm -hmm. tomorrow uh tuesday a brand new season kicks off for triple bites with a new host meg trast Uh, she has been reporting and uh, and calling in uh on other shows she is going to take over hosting duties on Triple Bytes, which is uh, tomorrow at uh, 8 o'clock, and that will be here. Um, tomorrow's edition is going to be pre recorded because she's got a work thing, but a lot of times our goal is to do it live. Sure. And then on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Tim mentioned this earlier, Tardis Sauce, uh, which is a discussion of Doctor Who.
1: We'll be discussing the second episode of the new season. Uh, Mild spoiler alert. Didn't like it as much as the first episode. Oh. Felt too rushed. But there was some good stuff there. There There was some good stuff there, but it was just like, whoa, wait, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it, it's 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 not the worst criticism i could level at at a piece of programming so i mean i still enjoyed the episode and i'm looking forward to hear what what uh uh well definitely gonna have macy who's who's joined us uh macy branch who's this will be her second episode with the show right um and at least one of the gentlemen uh from traveling the vortex have their own podcast uh which we highly recommend
0: as well traveling yeah. is their site and they have uh
1: they pre- if you've never seen an episode of tardis sauce um, it ranges, it has ranged from having me talking to just one of the guys, or, uh, all three of them, um, and we're really actually happy to have Macy on the show because it opens things up a little bit, because mm-hmm. we're, but we're, we're three middle-aged white guys sitting around talking about a TV show, you know, there's, a, there's plenty of places you can find that online, uh, yeah. let me, a little bit of variety, never heard anybody. So, <laughs> so
0: let me ask you this, show. so if, if someone, because Mrs. Boss, mm-hmm. when we mentioned the centennial last month. We mentioned the centennial, the the centennial for Isaac Asimov. Yeah, and I got Blink, Blink. Who? Um, yeah. If you are to introduce <laughs> Isaac Asimov to a new generation of readers, which we are very much going to have to do. Yeah. Where do you start?
1: I honestly would start with I Robot. I, it's a the collection. Um, and if you can get your hands on the the, oh, the script we, we wish had been made.
0: <laughs> Harlan Ellison
1: did an adaptation of, of the iRobot stories into a, an overarching thing that would have been a, a single narrative um, that is a truly wonderful script. I, I'm actually a huge fan of it. Um, I don't know. It, I don't, it could be made now. I think it would. I think it was super ambitious to try and consider that anyone would, would dump the amount of money that you would have to get the effects to work. Then, yeah. Now it'd be much much easier to do. Especially we've we've seen that the, the proof of test actually would have been Westworld because of so much of what they were able to do to make artificial people seem like a real thing um, that you could do it. I think, and we've plenty of technology special effects we've seen in, in films. Um, the Star Wars movies, the pre as much as I, I think the prequels are, are terrible storytelling, uh, they just are. Uh, sorry, um, and and however you feel about the the new trilogy, the effects have come to the point where you can do this kind of robot stuff. Oh sure, it, they, well, well you
0: can do all sorts of things nowadays.
1: Yeah, but I mean I think you could, I think you could actually hit go back to the Harlan Ellison script and and do this properly. But the iRobot collection is the def- is really the core. Susan Calvin, Three Laws, Evolution, and it gets you right into, and it covers quite a period of of Asimov's writing time. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's probably twenty twenty five years of stories. Yeah, because he
0: didn't write them all together. No, no, yeah, no. They're, and, they're collected, but they're not.
1: Yeah, and it, and so you, it ends up giving you this arc of 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 this building this world that he will eventually go on because it's it's set in you know the day after tomorrow, yeah. right? I mean, um, which which was. A lot earlier, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be well past that at this point. I'd have to check the when, when if he. I can't remember if he put dates in or not. Um, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that he was expecting us to, you know, come further at this point. Well, we should A have had an operational
0: base on the moon by 1980 to hear Buzz Aldrin talk. Well, I, I don't disagree,
1: um, but at the same time, um, these are good stories. These are these are fun stories now. One thing I would I would encourage you to do if you if you have not read these before and and read them is remember that in a lot of cases these did come first. It's kinda of like the when uh, I gotta mention John Carter. New yeah. Year. Gotta gotta mention all these ones. The thing about John Carter is that John Carter was the inspiration for things uh like Superman. Everything. And so Superman, Star Wars, all this stuff came out of, you know, going back to those pulp stories, those pulp novels, and certainly the writings. It's like it's like reading Lovecraft or Melville or Victor Hugo. Okay, you've got you've got folks who changed things oh. and whether or not this stuff has aged well in terms of the literature is going to be your own opinion.
0: I've thought of a loophole when it comes to John Carter. Yes, because the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate mm-hmm has new stories that they are commissioning
1: ah, in the sense. Edgar
0: Rice Burroughs universe.
1: They have the rights to the film material they again, have the rights to as all of
0: well, it. so... So what they're doing now, they're reprinting and republishing the, the original Tarzan stories. Yep. And you've got Tarzan, you've got John Carter, you've got uh, the Venus... Carson of Venus Carson of Venus all of these stories Mm -hmm. are now going to be part of a shared universe which to some degree
1: people have been treating them that way in fiction for a while well I want to
0: say that there's a comic book with Tarzan on Mars
1: Um, there's been at least uh, certainly been crossovers in um, Alan Moore in their League of Extraordinary Gentlemen crossed them over um, I
0: think, but now I, it's going to be official as part of the ERB universe. Is what I, think it, I think Garth Ennis um,
1: filed off the serial numbers of a couple sure. of those characters and I used them. So. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's. Um, but I mean, th- that's the thing about Asimov is when you go back and read this, if you sit there and go,
0: "Wait a minute, wasn't this a plot to a Star Trek episode?" <laughs> yes, but he, he actually was a story consultant on the first Star Trek movie. Yep. Th- among other things. The, uh... Um- oh, 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 and I, I I ran across this today. I was looking, uh, doing my research, doing my homework. Uh, he's got an IMDb listing. Sure. He was the science consultant on Salvage One. You remember that movie, that show? You remember that show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I That look on your face... Was he really? He was. He was the science consultant (laughs) on Salvage One. Now, for those of you who don't know, and you probably don't, Salvage One was a very short-lived TV show starring Andy Griffith, of all people. And he he was a salvage operator, a junk junk dealer. He had a junkyard. Uh He had a salvage yard. And he got it in his head... That he could make money salvaging all of the stuff that was left behind as part of the space program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he he builds his own rocket ship. This is before the movie with uh, yeah.
1: Uh,
0: help me out. Um, oh no, Sling Blade. What's his name? Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But so he builds his own spaceship. To go to the moon, and we're talking a really super short run on TV. Oh yeah, it was Um, probably maybe eight or nine episodes uh, before the kids went uh, But yeah, yeah, Isaac Asimov was a science. I remember watching that. that Oh wow! And you know the I I actually watched the pilot of that show back a little while ago. I think it's on YouTube. And probably is. Funnily enough it kind of holds up if you accept the premise that the guy who owns the salvage yard has all of the material he needs to build buy a, ro- the stuff, to build right, a sure. rocket because the other two people that are with him are rocket scientists right yeah you know they're rocket engineers they're air and they're, you know they're space engineers mm-hmm. and so if you accept the premise that these people actually know what they need to know in order to do this story wise it kind of sort of holds up which is well, really think, surprising
1: when you think about it you know we've got your we've got your virgin spacecraft and we've got you know Elon Musk and you've got all these <laughs> yeah. folks who are doing this Heinlein Heinlein anticipated that there were going to be independent companies that were going to be racing to make the money by being you know the the way to take us to the stars it was going to be it was going to be a for-profit industry and the fact that we have got as much
0: well 2001 he took Pan Am to the space station oh yeah
1: but I mean the, interestingly enough the fact that we haven't gone full on bore uh uh the stars the stars, my destination uh for a fee um <laughs> Which is a different novel. It's not. You will not find that one on the shelf. Thank you. You should write it. I should write it. But the thing is, is well, except Heinlein did it. And and I think that the fact that we, for all the stumbling blocks we've gotten with our own government supporting the space programs, where it's pro, you know, sometimes they've been great at funding, sometimes they've not. It's basically meant we have not gone back to the moon, right. um, Or got to Mars, or any, or mine the asteroid belt, or any of the cool things we could be doing. Um, if you want Star Trek's future, <laughs> it's gonna cost you money. If you want the Expanse, yeah, um, you need to. We we need to get out there. But the thing is, is that um, we still have. We still. We're lucky in that we do have government support for this. However, we should have more. The well, fact that it's the this fact year. That there's been a through line at all that we that, that that we basically at no point has any administration sat there and gone, no more money. This yeah. is, it's never been well, enough,
0: and and this this administration, however however you feel about it, this administration, uh, Trump just signed an appropriations bill that gives NASA a record amount for the Moon project, for Mars, for other things. I mean, it's more money than they've ever had for any individual projects. And hopefully, and that, this, hopefully that gets to them because unfortunately,
1: the, the the one the one concern you can have about government is you can sign all the bill that you want without oh, sure. money actually gets to the part it's going isn't well it's supposed, to.
0: Well, I mean, it's supposed and, to and one can hope that you know it it's handled efficiently enough that it goes where it's supposed to go but
1: well generally speaking uh the folks at nasa uh you know they're, they're only human and there have been mistakes but generally speaking nasa doesn't have the worst track record of a government agency for spending their money think mostly because they, they are aware that if they put a person in the thing that they built and it blows up yeah it doesn't
0: look good well and that gives us an opportunity to talk since we're talking about money um, our subscribe star account uh, if you would like to support us financially and what we were going to use that money for because I have to the moon I' have no. been neg- I, I've been negligent in saying what our goals are mm-hmm. uh, um, you know it's it's one thing to ask for money it's another thing to sit there and say, that? "Here's what we're going to do with that." Sure. Um, now we've already we've got the cameras. That was originally part of the plan. So we were going to upgrade the cameras in the studio, and uh, we have uh, we have been approved for press passes at C2E2, which is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We are waiting for the application to open up for us to go back to Star Wars Celebration this year, mm-hmm. which is going to be in Anaheim. And if you're paying attention at all, we are not in either Chicago or Anaheim. Kansas City is landlocked. And we're in the middle of the country. And wherever we go, it's going to involve travel. And that costs money. And hotel costs money. And, you know, in some of these places, we may even spend the money to have a booth space sure. at these events where we can actually set up shop and do what we did at something like WorldCon or Planet Comic Con or Smallville where where we're in a space with the cameras and the computers and all of that. So if you have if
1: you have not seen some of the interviews we got from WorldCon and Planet um there's some we, Because we had that set up, right. we got to talk to some amazing, wonderful people we, of all different types of, whether they were uh, writers or artists or, or...
0: We had 53 published interviews out of Worldcon. And to this date, we are the only website, we're the only media entity in any way, shape, or form, whether it's online or print or anything... We're the only media company that has covered WorldCon the way we did it. I'd love to do it again. I would too. I would. I would love to do that. And I and I would love to be able to do that at other conventions oh, yeah. like C two v two or Fan Expo Dallas. Because we, or... we
1: we got lucky with WorldCon because they were here. Yeah, they came. To, they came to our our neighborhood. We'd like to be able to go other places and play in other people's neighborhoods as well.
0: And fortunately now. I have a link to a playlist, so whenever I talk to a convention, sit there and say, here's what we want to do, I can actually show them, Uh here's what we want to do, rather than try to explain this, and hear the confused puppy dog looks across the phone, and they go, you want to, what, what do you want to do? Here's this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's Mr. Harvey making a famous author late for his next panel. Yes, we <laughs> we want to make we want to make writers late for their panels. We want to my uh, We want to chase award-winning authors out of the bathroom. You know those those kind of things are rare moments, but you know there are opportunities here, and that's that's what any money that we have, whether it's through PayPal or Subscribestar or somebody was throw a super chat in or wherever. The money from all of that goes to trying to cover and make it possible for us to go and do these events. We have
1: day jobs. We're not doing this to make... It'd be nice to make money. Oh,
0: office, I would as, as love profit. to be able to pay everybody that works on this site.
1: But the reality is, is that the money that would be coming in is going to go to make more of the site what we want it to be, what, a lot of what Jason has been envisioning for a long time, versus... It's gonna pay for Tim's trip to the bar, or what you know, that, yeah, whatever it is. You know, what I mean, it's, well, it's, this, isn't a pers- this isn't a personal piggy bank. See, and the
0: thing, the thing that that I look at now, and you know, we've been doing this now for almost eleven years, and I look at, <clears throat> I look at what's going on with Collider, for example, mm. or what happened to Gawker Media and the collapse of various different websites. Ain't It Cool is still around, but they're just really a hollow shell of themselves. io9 doesn't have as much... Uh, I don't want to say credibility. io9 doesn't have as much
1: it doesn't
0: uh, it, uh, reach as it used to. io9
1: and Collider and some of these other folks really, in many ways, built their success... Off a core group of personalities, people who people who were there—they were the—they were the core writers of of that, and and they they had distinct voices that fans responded to in a way that you would actually build up an audience. And and I think I think the the big—we'll talk more about this next week. But we'll talk more about Collider, but one of the things I keep seeing with Collider is there seems to be a an anger that people are not recognizing the community that Collider built. Right, And one of the complaints you see in a lot of, not so much now because there's been a gap, really, I think, in between the, that core group of, of io9 folks who, when they left, as they made their way out the door, you got more, and more people saying, you know, it's changed now, it sucks, mm. but they, they were saying it because they built up this community that was talking about, you know, to Meredith and Charlie Jane and all these different folks, and there was this there was this dynamic there that once that, they were, that probably, what, there were five or six of them.
0: Yeah. I think once they was, were gone. I think that was part of it, but I think also, too, that you see, in especially nowadays with the online situation being the way it is, and and you and I have talked about this a little bit before, and there's a certain amount of disagreement to the degree that this is going on, but when... A particular website, and it doesn't matter which one. I mean, it's any of it. take take your pick, and it doesn't even have to be a genre website. It can be any website when they lean into a particular political thought or ideological thought, or we're going to say we're going to stake this position. Whatever it is, uh, well, I, I think you that's... start you start alienating the people who are not necessarily going to agree with you in that particular point. And I think, you know, that's that's a, a legitimate criticism of a site like, say, the Mary Sue, or you know, although when...
1: although the Mary Sue puts it right up there on the front, there, right. If you're if you're surprised by going into someplace like the Mary Sue or Jezebel or mm-hmm. one of these other sites that that pretty much gives you its viewpoint around the thing, if you're surprised by what you find there. You need to read the label. I
0: well, yeah, and in, and
1: in, you know, in, in all fairness, folks,
0: if you and I'm not surprised, but if you but, go to Red State, don't expect to not the, find. But over the last few years, sites like the Mary Sue or IO9 or or you know, take your pick. Yes, they've 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 said this is our spot, this is our niche, but they get more. I don't want to say radical, yeah, but I'm not going to say radical. <laughs> mean, more intense. Well, you know, it, in but, their particular but I think, mode of I, I think thought, it, I and think they start it, digging in. Well, and, well, sure. You know, because I
1: think once, once, once you and and it doesn't matter where you where you sit on the political spectrum, you'll see it all over the place. But once you sit there and decide this is our playground, and we're not going to go outside it. Best intentions aside, um, and this, this, this is me giving benefit of the doubt to every shade of the political spectrum here, Okay, we tend to bubble, bubble ourselves. And sometimes that bubble is a fairly porous one, and sometimes it's a hard shell. Mm-hmm. And if your feedback loop is, and especially if you're a media company, if your food feedback loop is, give us more of the thing you're giving us, yeah. you're going to keep doing it and And I think that when you look at something like you go back in the day to i o nine back you know back really when when we were starting off doing this is when you had those really and i think you had a more varied group of people who looked at things in a broader sense and they were they were more they were more uh, uh is the word well they were more eclectic in terms of of what, they, of what they of what they were absorbing in yeah. terms of in terms of genre fiction
0: for me io9 lost a great deal of credibility for me when, and this is right before Annalie and Charlie Jane left, when they put out their manifesto Mm -hmm. of this is what we believe and we're into science and evolution and climate change and if you don't believe it if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith, then go away, you're a terrible person and that was their document that they printed that said this is this is who we are and if you don't like it pound sand and that to me said okay we're not looking for diverse opinions anymore we're not looking at a broad spectrum of thought well like uh, like it started out sure you know it evolved and it evolved into this is this is who we are and we're not gonna be anybody but this. Well, and I've I lost a lot of respect for IO9 when they did that.
1: But I think I think unfortunately you see that and this is a whole this is a whole conversation that we could eat up more hours than we Yeah, yeah.
0: it's not what we're gonna
1: do. But tonight. you look at I mean you look at uh, uh, sites like Bounty the Comics. They're the opposite side of that. Um, and, and I know that you and I have talked about with the intent of of the yeah right, but, but John's
0: but, stuff isn't as extreme as oh, some of the I
1: clearly are not reading the same articles on there that I am well because, it depends on who writes it because because there's a lot of it on
0: there. it depends on who I'm, writes
1: it I think it's a that's a really I have some real issues with that site and <laughs> and and that's not, not because there's bad information on it yeah no. there's I think there's some good stuff on there but there's a tone to it that very much look at and I go you're not writing you have you have no interest in me reading your site you just don't and that's and and quite frankly, there's enough sites out there. That's okay. Yeah, I don't I don't need to go there. Um, and that's and so there's a site for you out there. But the problem is, is, I think and I think one of the things that we try to do, we don't always sit, pull it off, but we try, is we try to sit there and say, you know, you and I can and can disagree about this, that, and the other thing, yeah. but we can also agree on this story is cool, and we might, we might not even like the same things in this story. We right. may not even like, we may sit there and go, I didn't like that story. But you, can, you and I can at least talk about why we didn't like right. this episode of Star Trek or this Star Wars movie or this Doctor Who episode or whatever. Well,
0: and, and the other part of that is recognizing, like like some of these sites have stopped doing, recognizing that there are going to be people out there who don't like what you like. And it's okay if you don't like what I like, and it's okay if you like something I don't like.
1: But to some degree, you and I have the advantage, and this is a weird thing to say because we're not. We are. This is this is something that's happening because we like this. If and and we we have the advantage of not making enough money off this that we have to worry about it as a purely because we'll talk about this more next week with Collider, but there's also things to bear in mind that at some point on high in your business model mm. someone looks at your audience and says our money is coming from here and therefore our advertisers are are getting responses from this group and you sit there and go
0: i think that's going to be your
1: viewpoint does this <clears throat>
0: Not, well, right see, to right to your target and and that's that's a that's a funny thing about us is when you look at the demographics of the people who have responded to our survey, mm-hmm. it's everybody. Sure. Which I think is great. Yeah. And, and that's everybody in terms of, I mean, it's a fairly even split gender-wise. Mm-hmm. Age-wise, we're all the way from 18 all the way up. Mm-hmm. Income-wise, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised at where... The, where a majority of that income level sits. It's higher than I expected it to be, and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> well, why don't we have some of that? You know, it's like because
1: because they did, they didn't get that higher money without <laughs> giving it away. That's right.
0: Uh, but in speaking of speaking of 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 disagreements on things, uh, Star Wars, of course, being. One of the very polarizing things, this coming Friday, uh, we are going to have our discussion in the Rancor Pit of the latest shenanigans having to do with Star Wars and rumors and... Leaks and is this the one that came out of the Reddit thing? Uh, one of them, yeah the the sabotage. Yeah, yeah so we're going to be talking I saw. So I, I uh,
1: and this is I I, I don't think I'm gonna, I I think i got we're doing this we're doing this website redesign for my, my day job and so I I don't think I'll be able to join on Friday but um, I read that and my first thought was A this sounds like fan fiction and B about fifty percent of it I can completely believe.
0: I can about I can 50, believe, I can believe at least fifty percent about
1: fifty percent of it including um you know I'm just going to say now that the idea that Disney would actually be trying to sabotage jJ abrams um, is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard because that's not how the industry works
0: true we'll put a pin in that put in, a pin in that and put a pin in that and, that and, and that. find
1: a way because I, I read that yeah. nice I said, you guys don't know how you guys don't know how the, how <laughs> business works, do you because he's not a he's not an employee.
0: Yeah, of well, Disney,
1: and I, he's never gonna
0: be. He's got his own company, right? And he's got a big fat contract with Warner Brothers now, so yeah. And, and uh, well, the thing
1: is, is that that contract's is gonna run out, and Disney wants to Disney, nobody. Had, I'm not going to say nobody at Disney is that <laughs> stupid. John I'm Carter. Not, I'm not going to say that, but I will say this. But see,
0: the thing but it is, though, you get into office politics. Yeah, and, I, I, I mean, John Carter's a perfect example of I, this. I know, but I, and it, certainly, it
1: certainly happens where you basically have somebody burn things like to the ground. We don't like what you
0: did, and you're fired, and you're gone, and so now I don't want your but you don't. But,
1: but it's kind no. of like, I mean, it's the days when studios had, the, I mean, we, we we talk about how powerful Disney is. But the days when studios actually had the clout where they could destroy a director's career, without the director actively helping them do that—Josh Trank. Yeah, Josh Trank helped.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: quite a bit. Uh, but if he had not—if he had been a perfect—if he had done everything right on that thing, and the studio tried to destroy him anyway, you—that kind of thing doesn't work anymore. You don't. This isn't the day of. This isn't the 1940s and 50s where no. the studios owned you this is the days when J.J. Abrams gets there and goes, uh, bye, my contract's up, I can go play wherever I want. And you yeah. know what? They're going to pay me the same green money over there. Yeah. So, like I said. We'll see. You guys have fun talking? The, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in seeing about it, because I think about 50% of it sounds very much like standard studio interference, which gets in the way, and well, a cramped time frame. But 50% sounds like, yeah.
0: and okay, see, sure, the thing whatever. Is, the thing is, you have... Well, I don't know. I yeah, get to to, him, we'll, we'll get into it. Talk about right. that Friday. Talk Friday, about Friday night, live <laughs> uh, at 8 o'clock. And, and there is enough spinning out of all of this that I think we're going to be able to do the Ranker Pit every week for a while. Because originally it was going to be every other week. We're going to go every week for a while and see what happens. So it's okay. it, it, it's, it's good to
1: know, though, that Disney can make the same short-sighted decisions that Warner Brothers did. <laughs> That's all I'm saying from what, from and, and this is this is whether or not you believe the rumor mill right now, because some of it, I guess some of it sounds realistic, some of it sounds way far-fetched to me. But at the same time, um, there's a good, good argument to be made that the whole Star Wars sequel trilogy was put out just a little too
0: fast. Oh, I can agree with that definitely. And I'm definitely. and I'm not
1: and I'm not saying if you enjoyed the films because I I've, I've enjoyed parts of all three films. And and personally, but my favorite one of the of the new trilogy is Rogue One. <laughs> because because for a lot of reasons. That's a, that's another yeah. discussion. Yeah.
0: All right, so that's going to do it for us today. It's going to wrap up. We've gone past our 2-hour mark. What? Yes. It happens. Like we never do. Yes. (laughs) So we are going to head out. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, If you are watching on replay, feel free to leave your thoughts in the comment. And uh, if you are listening in the podcast, uh, don't forget we do broadcast this show live on both YouTube and Twitch every Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time in the U.S. So uh, we do appreciate everybody for being here, participating in the chat. And we will be back with another episode talking about the Collider Collapse.
1: Because I'm sure there will be more news in between today and then.
0: Yeah, so that's happening next week. Thanks very much for joining us, folks. Bye. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.